And welcome to the PSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast, although we're now I think, calling it Tech Trans and Brands. Uh, and also, of course, uh, Gong Hai Fat Choi to all of those in Hong Kong listening, because it is, of course, the Chinese New Year. Uh, we'll probably come on to China a little bit later. There's quite a lot of news coming out of there. But Phil, how are you this morning? Oh, very good, Andrew. Nice to be in the uh, in the office. And it's been, it's been a busy week. Well, it's been busy and actually, frankly, pretty chaotic. Um, We've seen stock prices moving around like I don't know what. I mean, last night we saw Spotify come off 29% at some stage. I think we saw Meta, which is the old Facebook, lose $200 billion of value. Uh, I mean, stocks are flying around like there is no tomorrow at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, certainly not just smaller companies. It, it's the very big ones as well. And you know, as happy sort of SIP holders, um, some of these big ones are in, in global global funds. But um, it's quite quite amazing to see what it what is happening. Um, and it's been it's interesting looking at the bigger tech players, Andrew. I don't know if you looked at uh, Alphabet's results and Google, um, and they had a, they had a super super set of results. AMD chip company processors that go into uh, PlayStations, computer servers, laptops—they're the, su- the superset results. And of course, Microsoft, which we covered, but but others where they're showing signs of weakness really are getting punished. I mean, it's two ways, isn't it? I mean, we had this morning Infineon some pretty good results. Nokia were doing so; they were doing pretty well in their turnaround. So it's um, look. Actually, I think in general the company results uh, are coming through pretty well. It's all macro factors. Uh, literally, just now we've seen the Bank of England has raised interest rates from 0.25 to 0.5. May only be quarter percent, but that's a doubling of your interest rates, uh, which actually is fairly significant. And of course, we saw this morning energy bills are going through the roof. Um, so, you know, clearly in the UK, the consumer is going to be squeezed like I don't know what. And that's going to have quite an impact. The fact that energy prices are literally just skyrocketing is interesting for our transitional energy space because. Uh, it does mean that SWB, solar wind batteries, suddenly becomes economically very attractive. Uh, we have the macro factors of obviously Russia and Ukraine, uh, China doing all sorts of things, which is really rocking the boat. So we'll probably come back to that. The macro factors are making this market very, very tough. And fundamentally, there is a move of cash out of equity funds uh, into some sort of other asset class. And so the fund managers ain't got so much money nowadays to throw around and some people are sort of having to sell a little bit which is forcing price down prices down further than they probably one would imagine yeah it's well in, in summary it's it certainly is a, a volatile a volatile environment and I, th- I think where valuations have got really stretched is where you're seeing you're seeing quite an impact but but under underlying it all it still has been very encouraging to see see growth coming through from a, from a good number of businesses. Well, and I think that's what we've got to do. And we're, we're looking at stocks, you know, the, we all know that growth stocks have collapsed. What we've got to work out really, where there's a growth stock that's collapsed, but actually it's still going to make it. And it really is a growth stock. It's a great buying opportunity now. If it was a growth stock that actually, you know what, it was in the growth category, but probably was going to struggle. Then we want to avoid them. Uh, we'll come on to value stocks because we've had results this week from BT and Vodafone and they sit in that class. We'll maybe talk about them a little bit later. Um, but yeah, the macro environment is, is volatile to say the least. 
most people aren't enjoying it, but it is, I think, throwing up opportunities. Um, so, I mean, talking of opportunities, uh, why don't we kick off to a certain extent with, <laughs> dare I say, our favourite uh, Infinity Energy Systems. Uh, they came out this morning with a nice deal uh, with Elemental. Why, why don't you just talk through that deal and then we'll discuss where that leaves them. Yeah, so, so Infinity Energy Systems, IES, it's a corporate client of ours. They are develop uh, vanadium flow battery technology, and this is used primarily for uh, grid storage. And as we just talked about the transition, so lots more renewables on the grid means that uh, battery storage is needed for stability. Uh, and they, yeah, they they announced a uh, new order this morning for 8.4 megawatt hours of uh, flow battery capacity. Um, what's interesting about this and caught my eye is that they're working with uh, Elemental Energy, who are very well established uh, player in the renewable space in Canada, and they have um, a large number of renewable projects on the way. So they're looking to uh, and to use uh, to use this technology from yeah from Infinity. So I thought I thought it was a very good announcement. Uh, it is a good announcement. Again, I think what the market perhaps hasn't quite realised, although they've been a bit slow producing the announcements the market wants, you know, they are working with people like Elemental in, in Canada, the California Energy Commission in in, um, in California, uh, Arena down in Australia, uh, Pivot Power and EDF in the UK. They are working with the big names and of course they have a joint development uh, partnership with Siemens Gamesa. I mean, this company is working with just about every big name in the energy industry that you can think of. I mean, if anybody's going to win, it's it's them. We also saw a change of CEO at Siemens Gamesa late last night. Uh, the new CEO coming in is less wind turbine focused and more energy focused. So I think it's fair to say, you never know, you may see a little bit more activity there coming out of Siemens Gamesa. Um, and actually, just whilst we're talking about batteries, I think it was quite interesting this morning that Glencore announced that it was going to be uh, building a lithium battery recycling plant in Kent in conjunction with British Volt. Um, one of the things that people really don't understand about lithium batteries um, is that at the end of their life, they are very difficult to recycle. In fact, they're, they're, they're a, a, a liability. Uh, now, if you were in the oil industry, when you, when you build a, an oil rig, you, you have a you have to make a decommissioning front because basically someone has to come along and actually take that oil rig down and get rid of it. Um, and that tends to get factored into the whole costing of how efficient that oil rig is, that oil production is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe that the decommissioning of a lithium-ion battery farm, they factor in what will be effectively a decommissioning cost because you can't just you know, chuck it in the bin, so to speak. You will have to pay a lot of money to get rid of those lithium-ion batteries because they are very, very difficult to recycle. One of the advantages of vanadium flow batteries is basically electrolyte. You can just either use it again as electrolyte in another battery um, or you can convert it back into vanadium. It's a very simple process. Uh, and likewise, the rest of the, the battery is, is all um, just basically... Um, uh, metal, etc., and so you can just recycle it. So there is actually, when one looks at the cost, all-in cost, the equalised cost, vanadium flow batteries actually are probably 
cheaper than lithium-ion batteries, but people haven't really quite worked that out. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant and a rave, um, but it's uh, close to my heart, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, but it's an interesting, very interesting angle in terms of the total cost of ownership. And may apply, but no, it's thought. Yeah. Now, also talking of um, transition energy, moving on slightly from batteries, but to charging, we yeah. saw this week, didn't we, that some some a US billionaire is coming into the EV charging market in the UK. We did indeed. Um, I'm trying to wrap my brain now. Was it Liberty Global uh, founder? But uh, yeah, we did. I thought that was an intriguing. Uh, announcement because I remember I talked to you before we mentioned our podcast about using the comms networks um, or comms infrastructure that's all buried under there and, and running charging infrastructure alongside. Um, so this, uh, yeah, I, I thought that shows some real, real intent there and talk, you know, more talk about the communication, big communications players coming into the, into the space. I mean, I think, by the way, your memory has served you right, even though you had to really search deep into the back of your mind. Uh, it is. It's this whole point of can you use um, existing infrastructure uh, of cabling and things to basically tie this all together? Um, and I've always felt that this is, and we've discussed it on the podcast before, that, you know, you can put a box as an EV charger. Anybody can do that. Um the secret is then connecting it into the grid. It is all about having this partnership potentially with other people who have got, um, shall we say, uh, fibre or, or, or utilities running along. Uh, and of course, you've got changes in voltage and things like this that you have to manage, which is why actually just being an EV charger, in my view, isn't necessarily the secret to it. And going back to our favourite Nexus infrastructure, they have a division called Triconnects, um, and of course, they, their division, Triconnects, is in partnership with people like Sky and Virgin because this is the sort of thing they do, and why all of these businesses actually sit so neatly together. Um, but we've discussed this a lot, you know, over the years on our podcast. That there is this complete link between many different industries to actually make the infrastructure for the new world work, and that's what this billionaire has spotted and why he's coming over to the UK. Yeah, and it's yeah we will get on to you said you're going to get on to BT and Vodafone, but I mean, you know, companies like BT have got enormous operations on the ground that are geared all around digging up, you know, digging up the rows, putting cabling in, putting infrastructure in, you know, on, in the wider, in the wider community. So you're potentially positioned for this market. Well, well, let, let's get on to it because they had Q3 uh, figures, BT. Um, I mean, I look at those figures and I just go, it's whatever it was, 2% growth or something, was it? Oh, I don't know. Oh. Um, like, how on earth can you get excited by 2% growth? Um, I'm afraid you can't. Um, but, you know, BT has been performing and both, and they're both basically the activists are coming in to look at both stocks because, as you correctly point out, what they're saying is, look, in your core business, you've got bugger all growth. I was trying to find the right word there. That wasn't a swear word. Um, quite tricky. Uh, you haven't got a lot of growth, but you have got some really interesting networks and capabilities. You're just not, you're just not really putting them to the right use because the world is moving on. Um, you know, the days and, and the days of telephones in your, in your house are just it's history. 
So um, that's why yeah, BT and Vodafone are starting to pick up because it's all to do with activists actually getting interested and in saying, what else could these groups do with their networks? And I think this is a bit of a clue, as you say, with the, the US billionaires coming over. They've spotted that. Um, the question is really from here, I think there's probably still more upside in BT and Vodafone because the activists aren't going to stop and the management teams may wake up. Would I buy it for 2% group growth? No, absolutely no way at all. But would you buy it for, you know, potential change in your opportunity in it? If it's if it's properly flagged, you, you may well do. I mean, I would look at the Vodafone just on those valuation metrics, not EV, but dial 6.5 times and a peg ratio of 0.7. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, you can see how low they're getting valued and no wonder outsiders are looking at looking at potential opportunity. And there's an article, I mean, article on the FT about this and about activist investment in, in some of the UK's top companies. I'm sure it's said that like uh, nine in the FTSE 100 well, the FTSE 100 is basically known globally as a value index, should we say. We tend to have the value stocks rather than the growth stocks in London. And therefore, and a lot of attention is going back to value. So people are starting to trot around the FTSE and saying it looks very interesting. It also has a pretty high yield. I can't remember what it's yielding at the moment, but it's, you know, three and a half, four percent or something, which is highly attractive in the current interest rate environment. So I think the FTSE is interesting. Would I invest in it? Actually, no. I mean, at the beginning of January, I sold some funds in my pension that were, should we say, invested into sort of FTSE. They've been very good performers. I was quite happy with them, but I actually got rid of the whole lot. And the reason being, I think in the current environment with what's going on with inflation, energy price rises, interest rates going up, the geopolitical situation, I've basically moved my own personal funds out of that sort of a situation, sort of general market situations. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a huge number I had in general markets. I tend to be fairly thematic into what I would describe as special situations, which is basically small cap companies, special situations where all of those macro factors I just mentioned have no impact whatsoever. I'm trying to find things at the moment to invest in which really are not affected by macro factors. So it's all about backing really good management teams who either have a brilliant idea or who can do brilliant acquisitions um, and just backing them on a five year view. And I think they make a lot of money. That was a slight red herring, but just to tell you that I'm not personally buying BT or Vodafone, but I think they probably will go higher. There, yeah. yep. There well, you go. That probably covers off those two. What? What did we? There haven't been that many results uh, this week of the film. No, I've not seen much in terms of uh, announcements on uh, results. We have an update of trade. Just getting onto the of the brands front. Uh, Warpaint makeup company. Um, they had a good uh, trading update for their year-end. Uh, the ticker on this is it's W7L is their, their ticker. It's about 120 million market cap. Um, and they were saying that their sales uh, we've got done over the last uh, most recent financial year. No impact from COVID. Yeah, they've lost his sales a year. They're going to exceed their their. Uh, prior sales this year at 50 million pounds versus uh, 40 million last year so that's quite a good good performance for them yeah um, unfortunately we also had an update from one of our corporate clients samarkand who are not going to be exceeding their uh, forecast in fact they will under exceed the problem being and i said we come on to china is that china at the moment has basically stopped um people buying western goods for a while 
uh, particularly over the very important Chinese New Year, uh, which was this week. Um, look, you can sort of understand why China's doing it short term. It, it, it brings a lot of focus back to the domestic market, which they're trying to stimulate. Um, we think it's a short term. Um, we hope it's a short term. And actually, the, the fall in the Samarkand share price was, was still relatively limited and it's still above its pre its IPO price. So in that respect, you know, it's still very successful. But I think the key to Samarkand at the moment is they are building up an incredible list of partners. You know, we know about SF Express, FedEx. Um, they recently did Venture Life and, and they've got things like one-to-one -one skin and partners. And they've got a great list. And we think that list is going to continue. And we know that there's a lot of very, very large people out there looking at what their capabilities are and saying this is a unique capability and exceptionally valuable because at the end of the day, China is 1.3 billion people. It's the biggest market and consumer market in the world. And they are one of the very few people who actually know how to penetrate it. And that is very valuable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's their software that's behind it all. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's, it's it, what's going on for a small company there is very exciting underneath the hood uh, in terms of the, the interest in the software that they've got. And that's and therein lies the value. Yeah. Now, talking of corporates, actually, another of our corporates, we did a, a road show on Monday, took it round. Um, stock is Pressure Technologies. We've talked about it again quite a lot on this uh, podcast because it's what we like about it is it's hydrogen storage. And it, again, it has a unique capability almost. Hydrogen storage is a very complex business. You're, you're dealing at anywhere between about 550 bar and 100, sorry, 1,000 bar. Uh, you know, your, your typical car tower, I think, is only like three bars. And people just, to imagine the pressure that these things are under is in, incredible. You have to have very sophisticated technology. But we took them around institutions. We also had a high net worth meeting, Phil. Um, it was um, a very successful roadshow, I think. Well, I don't think. I know it was. Uh, we actually stimulated an awful lot of interest, which will take a bit of time to come through. But, you know, the story was very clear that actually they've got two divisions. Their precision machine division, which has been loss making, which is why nobody really likes the stock at the moment. But with the oil price going up, clearly it is recovering very rapidly and they've done a huge amount of management work to make it more efficient. So that division, you know, where people have perhaps put a negative value on it now definitely has a positive value. If you look at their, their Chesterfield Cylinders division, which is where the hydrogen sits, but it also, of course, does a lot of work for, you know, the both for the Royal Navy and the submarines, the dreadnought submarines and that sort of thing. They also do quite a lot of work on, on other submarines. I mean, they have world-class technology. So they do work all around the world for, for navies and submarines. That business is going really well, and their hydrogen division is really going well. And what was coming across very clearly is, you know, they've got two very close relationships with Tenaris and Valorec, both of whom are, are huge major conglomerates, global conglomerates who make steel tubes, basically. And, you know, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that both Tenaris and Valorec need pressure technologies. When I say need, and I don't want to say the wrong thing, it's because it's a corporate client. Um, but, you know, certainly let's put it this way. If one were to try and acquire it, the other could not really allow the other to get it. But of course, only one person can get it. So you could see how quite an interesting situation could brew up. Pressure Technologies is, is in a very good position. Market cap is only about 20 million. 
um, it, you know, if you just took Chesterfield cylinders and it was a standalone business, you would probably value that at, I don't know, I'm making it up a little bit, but double that price, say 40 million. In other words, it's implying that the precision machine engineering side is uh, known as PMC, um, has a negative value of maybe 20 million. It doesn't, that's just a positive value. So this actually is a, a growth and value play. It is very small, is extraordinarily attractive in our view. And uh, so there's a lot of people we introduced it to. For the first time, it, you don't just go and buy it straight away, you go and do your homework. Uh, but it was a very successful roadshow. And uh, I think in 12 months time, price will be very, very different, shall we say. Yeah. Well, good. And the sort of business that should be supported. This is a classic British engineering company uh, with a real specialism. And it's been around for a long, long time indeed. Um, but the, you know, you, you're mentioning the the naval applications. Also, their their cylinders are used to store nitrogen for the uh, purging systems, safety systems, in nuclear reactors in the UK. It's the quality of the engineering here that's the real, real important thing, and and has value, and why it's being chosen for the, you know, for the hydrogen markets. Yeah, it's been around for a very long time, but um, it's new management, pretty new management, have only been in yeah. there a few years, who so are turning it around. Uh, and uh, um, Chris Walters, the CEO, is, is he's, uh, I spent a bit of time with him. He's a very smart cookie. And, you know, it's not the first turnaround I've done. It's not the first time he sold a company. Uh, just remember that. Anyway, uh, what else have you seen, Phil? Uh, right, sorry, I was, <laughs> I was looking at the pressure check there. Uh, what else have we seen? I saw, as you say, there haven't been any company results about um, XP Power made a couple of acquisitions this year. Um, sorry, this week. So XP Power, it's XPP, uh, it's 980 million market cap, and they design uh, power supplies. Um, and these power supplies are highly, highly specialised and they are used in things like medical equipment, uh, semiconductor fabrication equipment, the applications in, uh, their broadcast kit. So these are very high quality uh, power supplies and they've acquired a couple of German businesses um, in high voltage uh, power, uh, not grid scale high voltage, but it's high voltage sort of industrial applications, I would think. Um, and uh, yeah, they've uh, spent just over, I think, 30 million euros on those uh, for revenue of 18 million euros. But, but I mention XP Power because it's this is a, you know it's just a really good high quality electronics listed business. Uh, certainly one I used to cover, and it's trading on EV bit uh, EVNR multiple of 3.8 times, EV bit DAR 15 times but generates a 20% EBIT margin. So really good, profitable uh, business. And it's pretty diverse in terms of its end, you know, its end spread of applications. And, and certainly it's been doing very well in the semiconductor fabrication equipment alongside healthcare. Sounds good. Very good. Yeah. What else? What else? Come on, stun us. Stun well, us with other news. Well, as I say, there's not been a tremendous amount of UK uh, announcements out there. Uh, let's have a look. What else did I see this week? Uh, SRT Marine, my smaller one, um, and they, I don't want the market cap there, but they, SRT Marine, a bit of them, been around for a long time, and they make automatic identification systems, AIS systems, which uh, sailors will know all about um, because these are widely used on boats to identify where their positions are. 
particularly things like uh, fishing fleets and um, you know for general maritime safety. And these guys have got 350,000 installed in the field and around the world. And I think they had announced a, uh, a contract this week. Um, see, and got any further details on that? But I know that they've had they announced a more a few months ago a contract for over 40 million pounds, a long-term contract. So I'm just flagging this one because it does seem to be picking up, um, you know, sort of larger contracts. So I want to have a closer look at. I think. Yeah, it's interesting. It's always, I mean, it's always good to bring on uh, new stocks onto this podcast that we, we haven't looked at before. Um, and on that note, if you sort of run out of news and say it was fairly quiet, uh, if people have any particular stocks they'd like us to look at, then please do tell us. Um, likewise, any comments, as we always say, uh, feel free to, to message us. Um, if you just want to pay us money for listening to this, we always have to take a check, aren't we, Phil? Uh, that was a bit of a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> but we would. Um, no, we're not. We, we don't need it, seriously. Um, so, yeah, we always love a bit of interaction. It helps. Um, I know that people are often asking us to try and talk to certain people. We, we, uh, we, we probably will have some interactive conversations, we hope, fairly soon. But we want to make sure we do it you know, at the right time with the right person and with, to try and get you uh, stories and news that actually you know, are, are genuinely new and news that we can actually help people uh, with their performance. Yeah. On that note, we'll yeah. uh, wrap it up and see what we come up with next week. Well, indeed. What for that, Andrew?